Hey everybody. In this age of endless demands, too many options, distractions, global crises, how have we evolved in our relationship with time? Now, I appreciate that is a pretty deep question to start the podcast. But do we ever stop to think if the advice we receive and therefore subscribe to on productivity, time management, that sort of thing, in this modern world, may actually be making things worse for us? Is it get everything done, becoming fully optimized, or becoming emotionally invincible masters of our own time a worthwhile pursuit? Now, as I said, it's a big question. Or is it just a delusion that leaves us even more busy, more distracted, perhaps more isolated from each other, therefore denying the truly important parts of our lives? Wow. Okay, what an intro, right? A big topic today. Welcome to another week of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. As you can tell through that intro, we get practical and philosophical at the same time. As we challenge and to some extent confront ourselves this week with questions and insights regarding how we use our time on this planet. In order for us to do that successfully, I have with me my guest today, Oliver Berkman, who is the author of the book 4,000 Weeks, which is a New York Times bestseller and named one of the best books of 2021 by the Financial Times, The Times, The Observer, Audible, Time Magazine, and Barnes & Noble. This week, Oliver and I are going to explore a lot of things during the interview, but keeping the things he wrote in the book as an anchor, because there is a lot to get through. Here's some of the things we discuss. Firstly, his journey from being a journalist who previously wrote for The Guardian to becoming a passionate writer on productivity, mortality, the power of limits, and building a meaningful life in an age of what he calls bewilderment. We also explore the different ways we as humans approach time and time management, our definitions of productivity, and what makes a well-spent life. And with that, we also share what we have learned from the way we approach things in business and in life which we certainly hope you find relatable, if not eye-opening. We just swim in these infinity pools of possibilities, right? And yet we are incredibly finite. So the only way to handle that is to get used to the fact that you're not going to get around to most stuff. So are you ready? A deep topic today, but lots and lots of fun. Oliver is a very, very approachable guy. I cannot wait to share this very insightful yet enjoyable conversation Do take notes if you can, and do check out his books if you haven't already done so. Through the volume of stuff that you do and the control that you exert over your life and the world, that's where it gets really dangerous because that's actually a recipe for being more busy, more stressed, and this bit's really interesting, I think, actually less focused. Let's welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Oliver Perkman. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up with me. Nick Bradley. Uh, Today, I've got a gentleman on the show that I've been looking forward to interviewing for a little while, really because I think it's going to be a bit of a therapy session for me. And (laughs) we're both laughing here because uh, I've had a life which has been frenetic and all about getting to the next stage, the next level. In fact, it's called Scale Up for a Bloody Reason. And Oliver Berkman, who's on the show today, is has got some different perspectives, which I think are going to be fascinating for me personally and for you, the listeners. So, Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. So, 
I've kind of given it away now, haven't I? So I'm one of these A type personalities, if you want to call it that, you know, private equity, I run ultra marathons, I do all this crazy stuff, everything's a 1000 miles an hour or more, hasn't always served me. Uh, I've kind of gone deep into the personal development path, I've gone into habits and routines and all this sort of thing. And I was reading through your bio before you came on, and there was something that jumped out to me that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, you said that in a in a world of impossible demands, rent, relentless distraction, political insanity, and productivity techniques that mainly just make everyone feel busier, there's a different way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's kick off. I mean, firstly, firstly, you know, introduce to us who you are, what you do, and then we'll we'll get cracking. Sure. I'm I'm an author and journalist. I worked at the wrote a column for the Guardian for many years about all of this stuff and wrote other things for the guardian focused now mainly on on books and stuff but um i mean i think the important thing to say in that regard is just that uh you know me too in terms of being a, a type a personality who uh you know is 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 sort of finds it difficult to stop and slow down and is always looking for the for the for the next thing um maybe not as uh financially successful as a result of it as you and I certainly have never run an ultramarathon but there's a certain personality that I think is very widespread and is associated with lots of achievement it's not all a bad thing but I think I haven't had that and in many ways this book that I wrote um 4000 weeks and my attempts to sort of come to a different way of understanding time uh are therapy for myself as well it's funny so, how that happens isn't it i was yeah. thinking that before before we started having this this chat that sometimes the things that you are you lean into are the things that you need to solve you know the different challenges for yourself i found that totally, for me yeah yeah but, but where can we go back then so so where were you so I, I came from the world of journalism a little bit as well so i understand what that can be like particularly back in the, the sort of late 90s early mm. 2000s were, were you quite stressed driven focused a different person i suppose i'm asking to who you are now I mean, I bear many of the hallmarks now of who I was then, but yes, I, 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 I think, you know, some, I was actually right. Rewind to before becoming a journalist. I was always like one of those kids. I'm sure there are people listening here for whom this is true, who were like, I was good at academic work, but I was really good at like designing revision timetables and organizing when I was going to do stuff and trying to feel sort of in control of my time. Actually pretty easy to be in control of your time. If you're sort of, 15 and living in the suburbs of North Yorkshire. It's when you get into the world of work that suddenly, you know, you're actually in an environment where, where there are more inputs to handle in principle than you're going to be able to handle. And yes, just starting in journalism at the point at which the, the web was becoming a, a, an integrated daily reality so that, you know, there weren't just deadlines, but deadlines all through the day. And <laughs> it wasn't just that readers could send you a handwritten letter that, you know, filtered out almost all of them because the effort was too much. It was that you could get huge volumes of email. So all of that stuff was, was, was part of my world. And then just like the deadline based environment, as you sounds like, you know, you know, it's very, I do. I was I was involved in it. Um, you know, when monthlies used to be read and then weeklies started to come in. So I I, I worked on uh the whole FHM Zoo Nuts stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, for yeah. EMAP for many years. And I was a men's health magazine and all that. And and I remember when I started in the in the late 90s, you know, it, it wasn't quite as frenetic. And then everything started to get, as you said, much more like by the minute, by the seconds. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and a lot of people I knew actually in the editorial teams, I was in the marketing side, a lot of them got quite burnt out because yeah. it just became so on it all the time. Yeah. I think there's this, I think there's this urge that almost all of us feel uh, faced with this general situation of information overload, overload of demands, overload of opportunities. You know, there's just too much uh, of good stuff and bad stuff, right? Because it's too many exciting business opportunities and too many places to travel, as well as too many, you know, tedious demands or obligations that you'd rather you didn't have. It's just too much in the round. And I think we are for a whole variety of reasons, some of them very deep and timeless and some of them very modern and some of them encouraged by self-help culture, you know, our instinctive response to that is to try to get on top of it all and get our arms around it all and feel like we're, um, you know, on top of everything. And I guess really the message that I'm trying to convey these days is not only can't you get on top of it all, but that futile struggle to try to get on top of it all is actually kind of antithetical to doing your best work and having and, and accomplishing the best <laughs> things in the long run. Because apart from anything else, yes, one thing is you'll just burn out and be out of action. But, you know, we just swim in these inf in infinity pools of possibilities, right? And yet we are incredibly finite. So the only way to handle that is to get used to the fact that you're not going to get around to most stuff that feels like it matters. Boom. I think that's the that's the message. Boom. I, you know, I, I knew this would be therapy, and I'm sitting here. People can't see this unless they're watching the YouTube version of this later on. I'm kind of covering my face and grimacing because <laughs> people are always saying they feel confronted by my book. I'm like, I'm confronting myself too here. Let's be honest. You come across as the nicest guy to Oliver, but like, is this like almost like kind of smiling assassin piece coming through? Here? Like, because you're saying stuff. You know, I I have this belief, right? You know that we kind of know a lot of what you're saying, right? And and your message is one of those things that we kind of, it's almost like when you're addicted to something and you know that you shouldn't be doing it yeah. and you know there's probably a better way, but you're just too in it. <laughs> it's a bit like that because, because, yeah. yeah. and I want to get into, one of the things we always do on this show is get practical and get into yeah. well, what do you do about this? But, but just to play with this concept a little bit more, things are accelerating. We have too many choices. Those choices become overwhelming. Uh, a lot of us are trying to run at, you know, as I said, a thousand miles an hour or more. Then you've got these people coming in, go 10x baby, right? You know, more, 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 more. What's your view on all of that? Is your view on that that's actually adding more to the issue and there's a different way or are you less direct about it? Yeah, I think we've got to make like a distinction here because I can imagine, especially maybe people listening to this, thinking that um, my sort of campaign around like, stopping trying to do things that are impossible could read or could could land for some people as like not trying to push the envelope not trying to do the sort of truly impressive things that nobody has ever managed before and that of course is the engine of of business and of culture more generally it's people doing things that we thought were impossible like five years ago um so you, and I, and I want to be clear, you know, I don't. I'm. I, I think that is a, a a deeply meaningful way to to spend a life. I think the the kind of impossibility that I'm talking about is it, it's to do with this idea of doing everything, seizing every opportunity, which is really ultimately a kind of avoidance because it's an unwillingness to make the tough decisions and to say mm, like yes. of these hundred things that would all be good, meaningful uses with my time. I'm actually going to double down on these two or three and I'm going to live with the kind of sense of loss or anxiety of letting all the other ones go or just letting them wait, right? Because you can do things sequentially. So if the person coming along saying like, 
you know, it's time to 10x your productivity. If what they mean is it's time to go 10 times further in the direction of something you have chosen while acknowledging that you can't do everything, that's fine. If it is like, and, and, and indeed good, if what they, and sort of that idea of the moonshot and like thinking beyond the ordinary limiting ways of thinking, I'm entirely on board with that. If what it really is, is like, you can do more, you can do everything, uh, you can please all the people in your life who you feel need pleasing, and you can finally ever feel like you're enough. Because there's a lot of weird self-worth issues wrapped up in all this, I think. Um, you can finally feel like, okay, through the volume of stuff that you do and the control that you exert over your life and the world. That's where it gets really dangerous because that's actually a recipe for being more busy, more stressed. And this bit's really interesting, I think, actually less focused on the things that you Well, yeah, no, and <clears throat> there's a couple, of, a couple of angles to talk about here. One, one is also um, perception externally and status. And this idea that, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff, particularly in social media, even in my game, where, you know, people are doing all these amazing things. Sometimes there's a little bit of vulnerability that comes in. But when you hear it and see it on mass every single day, that can drive an expectation that I am therefore not good enough because I'm right. not doing that. Right. Right. So therefore, yep. it's kind of like, oh, well, I better do more, even though it's not serving me yeah. and I'm getting stressed. But if I don't do more, I'm going to be behind and then, yeah, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So there's that. And then another point just to sort of think is, and one of my coaches said to me, and I still reflect on this, the concept of going a mile wide and inch deep versus a mile deep and inch wide. Mm -hmm. And of all the successful people I've had on this show, <laughs> consistently, the ones that have been very successful in terms of mission, purpose, wealth, whatever, whatever their thing is, right, have always gone deep mm -hmm. and stay focused. So I suppose the question for you is, how do you, what are the things you've found to be successful in this idea of focus or this idea of, you know, going deeper into one or two things versus trying to spread too thin? I mean, I'm super happy to talk about very practical stuff like you mentioned, but I do think that it all comes from, all grows out of a kind of a perspective shift. So it grows out of uh, this understanding that there's sort of a, there's sort of a built-in discomfort to just being a human being, right? Because we have, we are these finite creatures who are capable of conceiving of infinite numbers of goals and opportunities and feeling infinite numbers of pressures from the outside world. So I think one of the things that people sometimes get wrong is they, is they expect the, the sort of the right path for them, the path of growth um, to feel comfortable and on the one hand, they're right, because if you're involved in something that sort of drains all the meaning from your soul, then you should get out of it. But the, the, the feeling of um, actually engaging with the world and doing stuff and making things happen in this context of finitude that we're all born into, like that feels bad. It feels nicer to make big plans about how you're going to like run the world in a few years time, or just uh, scroll through social media on your phone where you can sort of be like a little god in the endless realm of the internet, it's actually kind of slightly unpleasant to be like, oh, I'm going to have to wave goodbye to that ambition for now if I'm going to focus on this ambition for now. And people are always looking for back doors, you know, prioritization systems that mean they don't actually have to sacrifice anything. And that's a great quote that I use in the book from Elizabeth Gilbert, the, the writer who says that, you know, 
Everyone talks about the importance of saying no to things. And we all think secretly it means just saying no to the things we don't want to do, but it actually means saying no to a lot of things we do want to do as well mm, um, yeah. in order to clear up that time and focus for, you know, so that you can actually make your, your contribution. And, I, and, I, and what I don't want to do in this conversation, I think, is um, simplify, simplify this idea that it's going to just be about changing some habits and routines, because <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that it's, it's a very individual thing we're talking about here, and it's going to be different for everyone. But, you know, one, one of the things that you sort of touched on there a little bit is we make ourselves busy, and that's a way of almost procrastinating. Yeah. And, and I've, yeah. I've been guilty of this myself, where I'll I'll plan my week or my month or my quarter. The planning is superb. If I showed it to you, Oliver, you'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> color coding is perfect. <laughs> Are you with me, Not right? those felt tip pens. Oh my Brilliant. God. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, and, and, but, but then, so, and I, I don't know what this is and I'd love your thoughts on this, right? But I must have this kind of thing where I think I've, once I've done the planning, I've done it. Because right. then when it comes to the following through, yeah, kind of doesn't happen as elegantly. Right. Right. So what, what's happening there, do you think? <laughs> well, I think that at the bottom of all of this, you know, of trying to get on top of all the information in the world and all the opportunities in the world, but also trying to plan in that comprehensive way such that you make amazing things happen through your planning. All of it is about some kind of wanting some kind of control that we just don't actually get to have as, as humans. And this idea, which I'm very personally familiar with, that like, by planning really well and really effortfully, you can somehow dictate the way the future is going to be is a classic case of that because it makes you feel in the moment like you know what's coming. The truth is that nobody ever knows what's coming. Like, you know, the most powerful people in the world cannot say for certain what will happen 10 minutes from now to them. And I think that actually the, the resilient um, and uh, sort of more powerful way to go into the future and to think about plans is that it's not that you shouldn't make plans, but that you should really be quite clear eyed about what a plan is, which, um, as I quote the meditation teacher, Joseph Goldstein saying, you know, is, um, it's just a thought. It's just a present moment state statement oh. of your intentions <laughs> yes. and when you plan to do things. And that's fine. It's not bad. It's a very useful navigational tool. When you're asking yourself, you know, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, what should I be doing now? It can be very useful to refer to a plan. But what it isn't is this way of like getting the future to promise to you that, that it's all going to turn out fine. And then people who do approach planning in that way or who feel like they need reality to go the way their plans uh, express are sort of constantly way more anxious than other people and constantly sort of because you're sort of waiting on tenterhooks all the time to see if reality will conform to your needs. And it's actually <laughs> really empowering to not need that quite so much, to be like, this is my plan, these are my ambitions, and now let's see what happens. You know, it's actually a much more, I think, a much more sort of energizing way to, to live. I want to ask you about that personally in a second, but um, have you read uh, Michael Singer's book, The Surrender Experiment? Uh, let me see. I read uh, The Untethered Soul. I listened to The Surrender Experiment. So yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was the most painful book I've ever read in my life. Like I just read it. And I, <laughs> I'm like, what? Surrender. Yeah. But I, I get you. I get you. Because there is a piece there where 
I find that, um, you know, if I meditate quite a bit and I am present in these conversations and I try and be as present as I can in, in most relationship led things. And I find my, I'm, I'm much more fulfilled when I'm in there. I feel very relaxed in that situation yeah. when I'm planning, when I'm strategizing, when I'm thinking about what needs to happen in the next 20 years or whatever it is, you know, I can feel even just by talking about it, it's like that. So, yeah. So for you personally, let's go back to your, your sort of journey. Cause as you said, you're doing some of this has been your own exploration for oh, yeah. you. How how have you changed over this last say decade or, or longer since you've been in this world, based on your exploration personally? Well, it's always hard to know because you know I I feel like I am a lot less anxious than I was. I am a lot more present than I was. I think I've been able to focus on doing with my career the things I really wanted to do more than I more than I had. On the other hand, you know, the idea that I live some sort of life of perfect peace of mind would be is total nonsense and so it's like well i feel like i've uh, given where i was coming from i feel like i've changed a lot but i'm sure there are people out there who just pop out of the womb far more like <laughs> relaxed and capable than than i will ever be um i think that um you know one of the things that has really struck me and this is sort of applies to personal life as well as professional life is the power of um commitment and kind of making non-negotiable making sort of somewhat irreversible decisions about things um uh, this is a, ultimately it's a version of the same point right i think that like hanging back from diving into things whether projects or relationships or anything else is actually a way of feeling in control because you get to think like okay i haven't I haven't burnt my bridges. I can always change course. And I think this drives kind of commitment phobia in relationships, which was certainly me for a good chunk of my young <laughs> adulthood. Um, I think it drives procrastination on like big life projects and creative projects, passion projects, right? Because the best way to cling on to the fantasy that your screenplay or your startup or your um, book, I don't know, whatever, is going to be as perfect as you want it to be is never to start it in the first place because then you get to like cherish that beautiful fantasy and of course the moment you start doing it you encounter reality and that means it's going to be imperfect compared to your your perfect fantasy so you know i think this whole evolution in me helped me personally to uh you know be able to write a couple of books which are fairly big commitments and do sort of strange things to your personal finances because it's very lumpy the way you get money from a book and and don't and don't um uh there are long periods in the middle there where you're not where it's not directly uh providing you with income and um and I think it probably helped um, when I when I had to like I, I just when I knew the time was right to stop this column I'd been writing at the Guardian for twelve years. I think it was I, I was able to see that like even though that felt like foolishly closing off something, it was actually the right thing I had to do. And I'm not sure I'd be you know uh, in a marriage with a five year old and with a five year old child uh, if uh, um, I had been uh, remained as as intent on keeping my options open as I was at sort of 25, 26. So, so, so one of, again, one of the, one of the sayings is, you know, your, what is it? Something like your, the quality of your life is, is determined by the quality of your decisions, right? Which, which you could argue also comes from, from the quality of the questions. Right. I'm, I'm curious though, around how you got maybe the, 
the insight or the strength to be able to focus down. And it sounds to me, and again, I might've heard this incorrectly, but it sounds to me like you got stronger at making more definite decisions, which then, and some of those quite scary decisions, like the security yeah. of having this very popular column in the Guardian, in the Guardian. Yeah. How did you get yourself to that? You must have, you must have said something else to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think part of this is just to do with, you know, I don't think of myself as a very um, risk embracing person. I don't think of myself in my life as someone who like loves to like jump ship and and like put a huge amount at stake. But the fact is when I look back at my career, I have always found it in myself to take um, decisions in favor of the kind of writing that I need to uh, that I feel like I need to do. So there's sort of a vocational aspect to this and a question of knowing what it is that you're here for in some sense. So I have benefited from that. Like in the end, I'm not going to take the decision that violates my, in a professional realm, that violates my desire to um, be able to do the kind of writing that I, that I um, need to do for myself. If that's a little bit sort of like, well, you just have to be born with a calling or something, which sounds ridiculous and it's kind of purpose. annoying. And the other, <laughs> the other way of, the other way of talking about it is that you can completely kind of build this muscle, right? The thing to do, I think it's really useful to think about making decisions as a, almost as a practice, as a, as a sort of thing that you try to sort of get get better at they do not all have to be that kind of decision what they have to be is to some extent irreversible but tiny decisions can be irreversible too so i'm always advocating and trying to practice in my own life that if you're stuck in some project in some venture a really good piece of advice is to look for some decision that you could make that would be irreversible or fairly difficult to go back on and make it and that might be as simple as like you know which uh web design software are you going to use for this thing right it could be it could be like uh, you know are you going to talk to this person or that person as the potential collaborator it's not it doesn't they don't have to be the huge decisions like i leave my leaving my day job forever and or whatever you know it, it they just have to be decisions that it's hard to back out of because that has this sort of natural forward motion that comes from closing off options because as soon as you close off an option you know, 95% of the time you realize that's great. It was the right, I feel happy about this and now I can move on to the next thing. And 5% of the time you're like, oh, I made a really, really bad decision, but now I have that data and I know that it was a bad decision so I can respond appropriately. While you're not actually making that decision and sort of hanging back, you're kind of hanging back from, from life. So at the end of the day, not only is it going to be less, they're going to be less accomplishment, but it's just not going to be as, you know, enjoyable to be alive because you're not really absorbed in it to the same degree while you're sort of holding yourself back in that way. I, th I think the other thing that, that I've found to be true with me personally, and again, I like to sort of just reflect on our, our personal situations because sometimes yeah. it grounds it better for people listening, right? Yeah. As opposed to just talking about something that, you know, may or may not happen. But I, I, I found that there are decisions that I'm very conscious about and there are some decisions that I'm not conscious about, unconscious. And I, if, if I, if I don't lean into making a decision, sometimes I'll sabotage a situation without fully appreciating that I'm doing that. So for example, so when I was in, in the world of corporate and media, I had a period of time where I'd get sacked all the time. Like, 
<laughs> I just like, and, and I kind of sort of knew what was going on, but I didn't really know. And now if I look back in hindsight, it's very, very clear. I go, well, I was getting sacked because I wasn't brave enough at that point in time to lean into what I'm doing now or to make right. the decision to do that for various reasons. And, and I kept doing things that would push me into that. So yep. can you, can yep. you resonate with that at all? Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't sound too unhealthy to me. That sounds like a good way of trying to sort of get those things to come into reality. I mean, maybe it was it didn't a more, feel like it at the time. No, a more painful way of doing it than uh, than than you maybe could have have done. But um, yeah, no, I think that's something. I, I think I have. I mean, I can't call them to mind immediately, but that feels that pattern feels feels familiar to me. People sort of put themselves into situations where they'll have no option but to do the thing that they know deep down is the thing that they want and and need to do. And again, yes, it's about, it usually takes the form of closing off options or burning bridges or risking that somebody will um, dislike you or be mad at you or find you wanting. And what's that? I think it's Tim Ferriss, isn't it? He says that like, you've got to be willing to let small bad things happen. Yeah, um, he does say that. He does say him. that. Yeah. And it's very useful. Like, I don't know if this is true. It's not a universal personality trait, but like somewhere deep in me from like childhood, I, I hate the idea of um, somebody like thinking a negative thought about me or thinking like, oh, I'm really disappointed because I wanted Oliver to do that thing or to work with me on that thing. And it's like, firstly, you've got to get used to that if you're going to be making choices as a finite person. And I think it gets harder if you get more successful because you get more interesting opportunities. But, but secondly, that person isn't walking around their apartment furious with you. They've got their own worries. Like it's so self-centered to think that, um, that the world is going to mind so much if you make some of these tough decisions because everybody in the world is, uh, is thinking about their own troubles, not, not, not angry with you about you. So. Do you, um, do you have any, um, and I'm, I'm going to guess the answer to this already before I ask the question is probably going to be no, but do you have any kind of habits or morning routines and stuff? I bet you don't. I bet you kind of just kind of let things just kind of happen a bit. No, I'm getting better at letting things. I think there's a, I think I'm sort of a little bit kind of, uh, at least sort of in principle, I'm a little bit against these kind of very, very elaborate and, 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 and or, or disciplined morning routines. Cause I, for me, when I've tried that in my life, it, um, it's all part of this weird psychological agenda of trying to be in total control or something. Um, no, I do. I get up um, uh, somewhat earlier than uh, anyone else in my house and somewhat earlier than it seems to be the norm, though very possibly not earlier than the norm among your. Well, uh, and there's a few people um, who do the whole 445 right. uh, Navy I'm SEAL I'm not there, thing. but, you know, 545, <laughs> I can manage not that. And then I usually, I almost always, the one habit that has stuck with me now for years is I, I do something, some version, I suppose it is, of morning pages. You know, I write oh, for yeah. three, three sides of a narrow ruled A5 uh, notebook. Takes me about 40, 45 minutes usually. There are lots of other habits that I come in and out of. I think meditation is really, can be a really beneficial thing. But if I'm really honest, I've never got to the point with meditation where I just like, really look forward to doing it. Whereas I think, you know, the, the make or break for a habit that you want to keep up is, is that it just actually is, feels good to do well, it. Something, and, and this is, I, I wanted to ask that question and, and, I, and I'm not surprised by what you said um, at all, because I, I find that a lot of people 
they get so in, in entrained in the whole idea of the of I have to sort of tick the thing off the list. Yeah. But here's my list of habits, and I've got eight yeah. of them. Oh my god, I missed a day. Panic, yeah. panic, panic. And and again, I, I sort of explored this a little bit because I went there initially when I was kind of just trying to explore a few things for myself. And then I realized I'm actually more interested in the achievements of the habit. <laughs> <laughs> if that's a way of putting it, right? Then what the habit is actually trying to provide, which right. is kind of the opposite of what I was doing. Yes, right. I think I see. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's like you know, I've, I've got to meditate. I've got to do affirmations. I've got to drink a million liters of water. I've got to have my cold right. shower. I've got to have right that. And then all of a sudden, you go, hold on, am I feeling any better? Or am I feeling- <laughs> right? Right. Yes. <laughs> it's that right. Yes. Yeah. And and there's a point where you go, actually, I'm not. So why am I doing it? Yeah. I think that's I think that's a really good point. I think you know we we turn everything, including you know quote self care, but also just like leisure. We turn everything if we possibly can into uh, you know another sort of goal focused pursuit uh, attempt to try to <laughs> right. And it has this systematic effect of like yeah we 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 end up sort of instrumentalizing everything we do, and then it's no longer right that it's that it's peaceful to meditate or enjoyable to journal it's that it's that you're trying to get to the end of the day and be like i did all the things so yeah i think it's i think one way i found around that sort of risk which i think is really useful is to be very self-consciously um sort of to use kind of flexible and kind of gentle ways of of inculcating habits to dan harris who has the 10 percent happier podcast about meditation has this great idea of um aiming to meditate daily-ish, which I think oh, nice. is, a, is a really powerful concept because it actually holds you, does hold you to something. Once a week is not daily-ish. But on the other hand, it allows the sort of, you know, ordinary course of events to knock you off without that ruining the the whole thing. And I read a very interesting blog post the other day by um, a guy called Andy Matushak. I don't know if you know of him. No, I haven't heard um, him, no where I'm just sort of experimenting this myself recently, where he talks about like his, he, he tries to inculcate habits by having a sort of, this is a bit complicated, but like a sort of rolling seven day window. So his goal will be to have done something four times in the last seven days. And this way, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it takes a little bit of I get, I get the around, concept, but the, track but, but the, but the result fun. is that you never have to like, wake up in the morning and be like, I've got to hit every mark just right today. Otherwise I've fallen off the wagon. And that is, can be a real problem, right? Apart from anything else, you just wake up each morning thinking like, okay, I've got to like get through the whole thing. And if I put a foot wrong, then I'm not living the life I want to live. And that is, that's poisonous. I think it is going to push you backwards. As I said, from personal experience, I've definitely had that. Let's, um, let's spend the last few minutes talking a little bit more. I think we've talked around quite a lot of the points. Uh, and, and concepts that you talk about in your book. But I just want to go into a couple, if that's okay. Sure. Um, particularly one that we didn't really explore too much, but it was, it was stuck in my mind after you said it, is this idea of when you make a decision, effectively, I forget the word you exactly said, but you, you basically, there's no, there's no return from that decision, right? Irreversible. Right. Um, let's, let's talk about what that looks like. So maybe an example in the book or, or personally. So, Obviously, I mean, there are a lot of decisions that you can always go back from if you want to. Your pride may not allow you to do so and, and other right. factors. But, but what exactly are you talking about here? Well, I will get practical, but I think the, the real way to see how universal this is is to make a slightly philosophical point, which is that in a very 
real sense, there's one sense in which every decision is irreversible, right? Because it's always a decision to use a moment of your time or an hour or whatever in a way that you'll never be able to go back on because that mm, moment okay. will be gone forever. And so there's a real sense in which every decision is irreversible. Of course, on top of that, virtually no decision is truly irreversible. So, you know, I think that um, the commitment involved in getting married or something is incredibly powerful and interesting psychological phenomenon. But clearly plenty of people do change their mind about being married to people. That happens that happens all the time. Um, I think what it what it looks like is I think what it really looks like on a more sort of day-to-day -day level is it involves I don't I, I like to think for myself anyway that a decision isn't really complete until um some form of you know physical action has been taken in the world to to embody that decision. So deciding just merely deciding that, um, you know, I'm going to launch some feature on my email newsletter, I don't know, I'm picking things out of the air, like to sit in a chair and decide that is not really to do anything, right? Because because actually nothing has happened that makes it irreversible or difficult to back off from. To announce it, to send one of those things out, to pay some money for some service that's relevant to doing it. These are all things that like put a mark Put a stake in the ground and i mean the whole life is just a sequence of these kind of incremental little decisions you can do everything that way you know um it, it it's just this sense of sort of not thinking about trying to motivate yourself through sort of uh, like ginning up enough energy and excitement and motivation to move forward progress but just thinking of it in reverse it's like okay what what avenues am I going to shut down? And it's, I find it just an incredibly powerful way of being, because I think it is true to the situation we're really in, which is that you're always shutting down some avenue. Every decision to spend a minute on anything is a decision not to spend it on a million other things. Yeah. And all this is, is doing so more consciously, moving through the world, seeing the real state of affairs, which is we're always deciding, making tough decisions with a very small amount of time that we have on the planet. I don't feel like that was practical at all, but I do think it, it is. It was very philosophical. You actually, can... you actually went back, you actually did like, it was almost like some sort of Eastern <laughs> philosophy. I think it's actually more helpful sometimes to help people shift their perspective, but in the sense of like, write this down on a piece of paper and then do this, I guess I didn't, I didn't go there. No, I, well, listen, I mean, the book is, you know, I think sometimes if they read the title of the book and they, they get the 4,000 weeks, I mean, that's, is that 80 years? Uh, yeah, you get a few more than uh, four thousand if you live to eighty, but it's roughly right. Yes, exactly. Okay, roughly yeah, right. Okay, yeah. but but then obviously the the second part is time management for mortals. So yeah. so someone's going to look at that and expect. Well, hold on, I, I'm you're going to give me a calendar. <laughs> yeah, and there is some of that stuff in the uh, in the especially towards the back of the book. You know, there's a whole lot of lists of techniques and stuff. But I'm what I was hoping to do with that subtitle is very deliberately bring together something very pragmatic sounding with something very uh, philosophical. Because I do think that ultimately everything we do in life, trying to build a meaningful life, is time management in a certain sense. And I actually think that if you can undergo some of this perspective shift we've been exploring here today in this conversation, often people are easily smart enough actually to figure out how to implement that on a ground level themselves. The thing that is hard to shake is this sense that like one day you're going to be in command of everything if you can let go of that and like fall back down to the ground often the practical stuff is just yeah i don't know make a list of the things you want to do use time boxing use the pomodoro technique they're all great as long as you're not using them in service 
of this kind of escape from reality. I guess that's yeah, no, and, and and I think that points I, that points you know loud and clear. And I think we do myself personally, but I see it through a lot of the people that I engage with. Uh, we use these things, if you like, to almost distract what we really should be doing. And and I want to kind of finish today, if we can, just exploring again a concept we touched on, but I just want to go a little bit deeper into it. Is I think again this may be personal, but I think sometimes there is a fear of missing out here. Yeah. So this this idea of bringing it down to maybe a couple of things that are really going to serve us and we're going to put our time, we're going to go that mile deep. Yeah. The decision about what those couple of things are can in its own right become very challenging. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, well, is it the right decision? If yeah. I if I go there and it's the wrong decision, what have I done? What's the yeah. risk? So yeah. how do you how do you contextualize that? I mean, I, I think there the the one of the things that I want to say will sound like it's pushing back against what I was saying before, but like there is a sense in which life is long. And one of the things that I think people, one of the problems people get into is that they, they confuse the need to do, they confuse the desire to do a whole bunch of things with their life with the desire to do all those things all right now. And actually there's a really important role for patience here and for being able to let yourself let go of, you know, options B, C, D, and E, not because you're making this one incredibly high stakes decision that will determine the whole of the rest of your life, but because you trust that like you can turn to the next one instead in six months time if you if you need to. And, and there's something very sort of um, untrusting, isn't there, in this <laughs> idea that like, I've got to have my finger in all of these pies now, otherwise I'm going to miss out on something. Well, I think the thing about missing out on things is that missing out on a lot of things is basically guaranteed, right? It's baked into our situation where there are always going to be more interesting encounters you could have had, people you could have met, ventures you could have launched, places you could have gone. And and you don't need to think about your role as choosing one from that infinite mass. You need you think about it as choosing one for now. And you know, I'm only in my mid forties. It's, it's not super old, and already I can see like so many phases in my adult career to date. Um, and at each time, I think especially in the early ones, I thought that like this was the only trajectory that I was on now, and I had to. And it's just not true, right? There's there's, there's opportunities to refocus and navigate and move on. What you have got to do is be fairly committed to a very small number of things for the time being. And I think trying to avoid that is what lands people in the trouble of just being sort of totally hyperactive and rushed off their feet and not very focused and not actually making progress on the things that they, that they care about. I think, I think it's an incredibly, incredibly important message. Um, and, and I've said it a couple of times, uh, not as eloquently as you. you. I thought you were entranced by my words, but you're just well, frozen. It's, it's coming back. As I said, the kids are home, right? And they they grab every every device to distract themselves in their little world, and it where, blows where up. Are, uh, interesting to know where whereabouts are you roughly? I'm in Peterborough, I just north of Peterborough, in a little place called okay. Stanford in Lincolnshire. Yeah, right. in, a, in, a, in a very old farmhouse. <laughs> right, because we're moving it. We're in the North York Moors, and we're just switching properties because we moved from Brooklyn, and it's just place we're in is temp is temporary oh okay and, i, I and live, I live in a very beautiful part of the world i'm toying with moving we're toying with moving to a place that we would be renting that is just absolutely gorgeous in all respects but the internet speed is 
by far the slowest that I've ever experienced. Yeah. In my, in my I have life. got the Ferrari set up here. It wasn't, uh, it was eye watering when I signed the bill, but um, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't help the fact that we have too many tablets and things and all, all the stuff, <laughs> what, you know, what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes or so, like the house is full of that, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I just want to say then as, as we finish this up, um, you know, it's an incredibly important message, what you just said, I think. Um, and even as you were saying it and the way that you said it, I was trying to, I suppose, listen to it and try and apply it to me. And mm -hmm. and just the thought of being out of focus on a couple of things and put a lot into it and be very passionate about it and all those sort of things, it just feels relieving. I, I've said on the podcast before, you know, focus is a superpower um, in the business way because a lot yeah. of people come to me and they've got the shiny objects and all this sort of stuff. As soon as they focus on one or few one thing or a couple of things, yeah, they start to get the success. Yeah. And yeah. I suppose the last point really, which we have touched on a couple of times, and we've said the word a few times, which is trust. Yeah. And the big thing for me was trusting myself. Yeah. Right. And sometimes yeah. we just doubt ourselves. Right. I think that's really true. And I think, you know, a message that I'm always trying to remind myself of and might be useful for some of your audiences, like I think ambitious and driven people are, are very often telling themselves on a deep level that they that they need to achieve the things that they are focused on. And although that can sometimes manifest as having like a big ego or something, it's actually quite, it's based on some sort of lack of feeling okay as you are, right? It's based on thinking that in order to be sort of an acceptable person, somehow you need to sort of wow the world and do amazing things. And one of the things that I think is really powerful to think about is like, if you're an ambitious person who's trying to launch all sorts of stuff, like what would you do differently if you if you kind of realize that you you don't need to do all of those things, right? You'd find some other way to provide shelter and food for yourself. So you don't you don't actually need to do any of these other things. And you, I think what's so important about that is it, internalizing that message does not lead to then like sitting around at home doing nothing. Internalizing that message leaves you far freer to do those cool things from a place of like, it would be really fun to do this rather than from a place of like sort of anxious place of like, I've absolutely got to achieve, otherwise I'm I'm not okay. So I think it's really useful to remember that and to just be like, I don't have to do any of this really. And I'm gonna do it anyway, because it's because I'm passionate about it and it matters. And I think it could make the world a better place. There you go. Well, I think we'll finish on that because that's a, an, an awesome, <laughs> an awesome way to uh, to end our conversation. Uh, last couple cool. of pieces then. So what what's next for you, Oliver? Obviously there's the book, uh, which we'll put in the show notes, 4,000 weeks, which is around 80 years. Um, but what's next for you? Uh, I'm sort of very at the very early stages of working on a new book, but it's so early. It's not like I'm, I don't wanna, I'm not being coy about it, but I feel like I can't even express it in words at this point. I'm so not surprised by that because I, 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 I feel that there's some depth uh, of thought that goes into your books. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm deep down at the depths at the moment, not at the bit where you can communicate it successfully. Well, yeah. well, when that's when that's live and ready, we can have another conversation. How's that sound? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and if people want to reach out and just explore some of your stuff and get some more of your insights, where can they do that? Uh, OliverBertman.com, my website, has a bunch of my writing. Sign up for my email newsletter, contact me, and then I'm on Twitter at Oliver Berkman as well. Great. Excellent, Oliver. And Oliver's written another couple of books which have got equally as interesting titles, which I won't go through here. You're going to have to go to his website and check those out. <laughs> <laughs> but we could have had a whole a whole conversation about them as well. Well, listen, Oliver, it's been awesome meeting you. Um, sorry the internet in the middle of England has blown up a few times, but we'll make sure we fix that when this goes live. Uh, and yeah, I want to wish you all the best and thank you for the stuff that you're doing. I think it's a message 
that absolutely needs to be said and heard by people, particularly in this day and age when things are sort of just going so fast and getting so complex. No, well, thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.